we have an opportunity in spring of 2024 faced with a reality where nobody talks about Kosovo and Serbia. <laughs> we cannot be stupid to miss this opportunity and we should not allow that potential stupidity. And I'm calling it that deliberately because I'm a firm believer that life has to prevail. Coming to you from the banks of the River Danube, you're listening to the Vienna Coffee House Conversations podcast with me, Ivan Vejvoda. I'm a permanent fellow at the Institute for Human Sciences here in Vienna, where I lead the Europe's Futures program. So welcome to our digital salon. In each of Vienna Coffee House Conversations episode, I'll be joined by Europe's Futures Fellows and leading thinkers from around the world. We will be probing their current research through discussion, challenge, and exploration. Listen along as we explore the ideas, debates, and encounters that will shape the future of Europe and beyond. It gives me great pleasure and honor today to speak with Ilir Deda, who is a current Europe's Futures Fellow. Ilir parks from Kosovo. He was he led the think tank Kipred for many years. He was a two-time member of the Kosovo Parliament from 2014 to 2019. And currently he is based in Sarajevo with the Regional Cooperation Council, where he is an expert on human affairs and resources. The Regional Cooperation Council is one of the foremost regional organizations that is the successor to the Stability Pact for Southeastern Europe that was initiated after 1999. Ilir, it's a real pleasure to have you. Welcome. Thank you, Ivan. The pleasure is mine. So, Serbia, Kosovo, and of course, full disclosure, Ilir, as I said, is from Kosovo. I myself am from Serbia. We're both from former Yugoslavia, a country that broke down in violence in the 1990s, and there is still this unresolved issue in the relations between Belgrade and Pristina, between Serbia and Kosovo. And Ilir has been engaged in these issues. In fact, his research project as a Europe's Futures Fellow this current academic year is entitled The Impact of the EU-Sponsored Basic Agreement Between Kosovo and Serbia on Stabilization, Democratization, and integration of the Western Balkans. Much to talk about, and we are privileged to have Ilir, who is one of the people who knows most about these things. Before we get to the substantive issues of a possible agreement and what is called the normalization between the two countries, we have, as history does, been overtaken by uh, events, and in particular, the violence that occurred uh, two weeks ago uh, in Kosovo, uh, around the monastery of Banska, where a group of 30 heavily armed Serbs attacked and had a firefight with uh, Kosovo special police forces, where one policeman uh, from Kosovo was killed and three of the Serbs were also killed. Tell us, Ilir, how do you see the current situation? Are we in a phase of uh, de-escalation after the event? 
or do you uh, think that there might be further flare-ups? Thank you very much, Ivan. Uh, I, for for the, this question, uh, I believe that we have the last window of opportunity now to ensure uh, long-lasting peace between Kosovo and Serbia. And as you recall, when the EU-sponsored agreement, basic agreement that we call it, earlier this year, in, in March, March correct, right? many of us were optimists that finally there is going to be a framework for a normal relationship between Kosovo and Serbia, which would also help the entire region to move forward, both in accession and, its, and, and cooperation within itself. However, the events of the last half a year, and especially the uh, attack on Kosovo police by Serb paramilitary group, has sent alarms in the West, but also in the region, to see that we are at the brink of a catastrophe unless the EU-mediated diplomatic process takes a more robust form and substance. And when I'm saying we have come to a point where we either have peace <laughs> through a signed agreement, both to sign it and then implement it, or I fear uh, we may head uh, towards a very bad scenario, which doesn't serve anybody. This is a very sensitive time, also security-wise. Situation is not stable, per se, but I believe that there is a diplomatic flurry happening behind the scenes that the public doesn't know. I think that everyone's role now is to help in any possible way to ensure that we have a successful initiative by the West to bring Kosovo and Serbia's leaders to the table and have them sign an agreement and work towards peace and normality. Without going back to the famous Battle of Kosovo, <laughs> 1389, I don't think you and I need to go back there. But basically, since the, the, the bombing of the Federal U Republic of Yugoslavia, which was, of course, composed by Serbia and Montenegro, and of course, Kosovo is then fully part of Serbia, what is it in your mind that has impeded the absence of a normalization up until now, reminding us, of course, that there was a big breakthrough 10 years ago, the Brussels Agreement. That was seen again as a big sign of hope because the two sides reached a compromise. As any compromise, it was very difficult. Uh, Serbia decided to put the judiciary and its police in the north of Kosovo, under the Republic of Kosovo, and the judges went to the parliament and pledged an oath on the constitution of the Republic of Kosovo, and in turn, Kosovo decided to give an association of Serbian municipalities, which to this day has not been fulfilled. Is it domestic politics? What is the reason that we haven't reached a, an agreement till this day? Well, maybe I can go just two years earlier back into history, <laughs> or three from 2013, Absolutely. which is the 2010 UN General Assembly resolution, which mandates the European Union to lead the normalization process between Kosovo and Serbia. That process always had EU accession there as a part of the big deal. And I believe that not having had the EU accession, 
on the table. The process was designed as such to drag forever and deal with details, like the most obscure details, like how license plates in vehicles look, or do we put stickers to hide the state emblems of both countries <laughs> to the license plates, etc., etc. Right now, currently, both as EU has awakened after Russian aggression in Ukraine, where European Union understands that in order for our continent to be whole, at peace, and free, uh, it needs to unite. And that means the doors of accession, of membership in the EU, are opening up for the Western Balkans. We have this opportunity because the countries of the Western Balkans now cannot say EU accession will never happen. We see serious work on behalf of Commission and the entire political mechanism moving in Brussels and member states. Uh, it is more tangible to sit and push for the agreement between Kosovo and Serbia, also honoring past commitments. I don't think there will be a new agreement. It's the agreement that was reached in March that now has to be brought on the table. I believe that it's time for <laughs> the Euro-Atlantic community sit on the table and give and, and provide a very clear take-it-or-leave-it uh, plan, which is for the benefit of the people anyways. Peace is beneficial to all, but also with clear sticks to the party that refuses to comply with peace, in essence. Indeed, I think you, you've made a very important point, agreeing that the responsibility is first and foremost among the two parties, but this lack of incentive of joining the European Union, I think, is also a cardinal moment in losing focus on the need to achieve stability and peace as quickly as possible. And of course, the situation with the Russian invasion and aggression of Ukraine is basically the umbrella under which we are all operating, especially in Europe, but also in the world. And that has, to put it colloquially, kicked into gear the need to round off and unite Europe. And the Western Balkans is basically now, with Ukraine and Moldova, moving in this direction. Of course, we are speaking as the war between Israel and Palestine evolves in a very dramatic and, and tragic way. And in, in a very common sense way, that should be a warning to us where unresolved issues fester for so long. You can only have, unfortunately, tragedies like this, a lesson to us in the region. Why can't we find the leadership and the willingness given that we have the help of the European Union to move forward. So in an optimistic scenario, as you just portrayed, maybe now there is much more focus and energy and determination to move what was agreed in March to be implemented. And I think we need to mention, obviously, you rightly said the EU is in the leading role, but the United States has a key role. Could you comment on that as well? And do you see this as uh, a tandem EU in leadership, but US fully backing of the course. whole process? Yes. I mean, for, for us from former Yugoslavia, we know that uh, only the transatlantic partnership brought peace to the region. And it was that transatlantic leadership 
our unity that also took the initiative and was able to enforce the peace. Croatia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Kosovo, North Macedonia now. We also had the Preševo Valley in southern Serbia. Without the transatlantic unity and leadership, there will not be peace. Looking at the conflict that has erupted in the Middle East again, things that could have happened two weeks ago between Kosovo and Serbia. We need to avoid that scenario, not only for short term, but any kind of potential armed conflict in the Western Balkans, apart from being tragic from the people, the region would not be able to recover from it for decades and decades and decades to come. We have barely recovered from the 90s now, a quarter of a century later, and American leadership is crucial to move forward. And I believe the stars are aligning, frankly, There have been generations and generations who have been dealing with this unresolved Kosovo-Serbia relationship. It's time to end it. It's time to have this March agreement, which is a fair framework, establishing a normal bilateral relationship. And we need to start focusing on life, especially since the dialogue process is being used in the domestic politics as a tool to disqualify opposition opinion, right? It needs to end. We cannot have a backslide in democracy because of a process which was never ending. Indeed, this is an issue that stands in the way of the region's movement towards the European Union. I like to say when speaking to people both at home in Belgrade, but also when I meet Albanian Kosovars to say we we need each other. Serbia cannot move forward without finding a resolution on this issue and vice versa. Kosovo cannot move forward because the uh, third actor, which is implicated fully in this, the international community through the EU and the US, demands this. And we cannot have such a big unresolved issue in in the middle of Europe as as Russia does what it does and allowing space uh, for it to act as a spoiler uh, for, for our region. Common sense says that people want to move on with life and live normal lives. I don't think anybody in our two societies wants a new war. You rightly said we have been exhausted in the 90s and we're barely recovering from that. So reason would say we need to move on and it behooves the leaders. North Macedonia and Greece resolved their big issue after Greece blocked Macedonia and North Macedonia for 27 years. So... We, we would want to see that moving forward. And in fact, Kosovo has been recognized by around 100 countries. It is a member of the IMF, of the World Bank, of FIFA, of other organizations. And Serbia has conceded a number of things. Kosovo has an international phone number, for example. Uh, there is an agreement on, on the water supply or moving in that direction on electricity. So a number of things have been done. We need to make the last push. I agree with you. But let me take you back to the Brussels agreement. Serbia has fulfilled its big compromise, putting the Serbian judiciary and police under uh, Kosovo. Of course, it pulled out Serbs from uh, these institutions in December, which I believe was was a big mistake and left a vacuum. But why hasn't Kosovo 
uh, fulfilled the association of Serbian municipalities. What is your view on that? Fear. It's fear. It has been fear from the beginning, from 2013, because it was viewed that the association would not serve as a umbrella to protect Kosovo-Serb interests within Kosovo, but that it would become somehow a tool of um, a leadership in Serbia to start sabotaging internally Kosovo. And then, if you remember, for a few years, there was a pause about the association because former President Thaci and President Vucic, under the EU facilitation, were untransparently discussing about territorial swap, which failed. I think the association was reconfirmed as a Kosovo obligation. It was ratified in Kosovo's parliament in 2013, so it became a law. We had principles on the association in 2015, which is not an agreement. It is a list of wishes, but that were sent to constitutional court, which deemed that many of those principles were not in coherence with constitution. And constitution, in turn, was drafted by, by Marti Atisari back in 2007. So Kosovo has ratified the agreement. The current prime minister has accepted the obligation in March, and then somehow everything stumbled on sequencing of implementation steps. And this is when you allow the parties to start discussing amongst themselves to implement something that may, maybe they really didn't want. So do you think that the international should yes. have sort of, I like to say, taken them by the hand and not allowed them to discuss it among themselves? I believe, to be very open, that if by December the internationals call the two parties to the table, that table should have the agreement which they accepted, which they need to sign. It should have an implementation plan not longer than two months. We don't want to give anybody time here to start dragging their feet. They should have a drafted statute of association of Serb-majority municipalities. They should have an updated arrangement on Kosovo's representation in regional organizations. They should have explicit support of two parties to one another for European accession. And they should have a real sequencing of management of Serbian healthcare and education in Kosovo, which is currently run by Serbia and that needs to be run by uh, Kosovo Serbs, including the financing that should be unlimited and it comes from Serbia to support Kosovo Serbs, not only in salaries, but also for socioeconomic development. These are just a few things that all need to be in this package. <laughs> this has to be signed. The governments have to come up and tell the West and each other how they're going to make this legally binding for themselves internally, and then we go forward. We have to go forward. We have an opportunity in spring of 2024 faced with a reality where nobody talks about Kosovo and Serbia <laughs> domestically. I mean, we have this relationship and we start focusing on democratic values, on development, and connecting deeper both the Western Balkans, but also using this great opportunity that is coming from the EU, which is primarily first joining the EU single market and then political accession uh, a few years later. We cannot be stupid to miss this opportunity. And we should not allow that potential stupidity. And I'm calling it that deliberately because I'm a firm believer that 
life has to prevail. And we shouldn't take into account a small interest of leaders anywhere they are because they are not for the benefit of peace and life. Indeed, life and normal life has to prevail so that people can get on, get on with their private and professional lives unhindered by uh, what uh, has been a historically contentious issue. But because we are in Europe, we have the luck of the process of European integration. Before I get to, to the regional issues, which I'd like us to touch upon, and, and you are an expert definitely on this, I think we need to underscore that however tragic these events of the past two weeks and then the one in May when K-4 soldiers were attacked by a group, again, of Serbian people from, from the north, to say that the presence of NATO in the region, first and foremost in Kosovo, close to 5,000 troops now, the fact that there's a mission in Bosnia, which is under EU guidance after having been S-4 under NATO, is basically a firewall against escalation. So however tragic these events are, they stopped because all sides knew, and in the case of Serbia, it knows that it cannot overstep with its army across, whether you call it the border or the administrative line, that is a no-no. And I think that is one thing that Serbian President Vucic has learned from the bad experience of Milosevic when Serbia was bombed by NATO. So both sides, in fact, Serbia and Kosovo, have said, we want and we like that NATO is here because it can prevent bigger things. Would you agree with yeah, that? Yeah. Without NATO, I mean, Russia would uh, be playing with our region in, in a different, much earlier, and in, in a very different setting, and we would be under fire now, as the, that second front in Europe would probably be open. So NATO is here. Most of the Western Balkans are members of NATO. Uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina and Kosovo are not, but we have NATO, in essence, to enforce peace as well. And whoever thought that two weeks ago would somehow flare up the region turned out to be a dilettante in realizing the realities of, of the region, especially the security component. I believe dilettantism of that sort has ended. I hope so. And, and now we need to see the Western diplomacy at its best. Just to finish what has remained unfinished in the West, in both Kosovo and Serbia, and maybe some other issues in the region which are blocking progress. Let me turn now to this regional component, which is extremely important. And I think it's important, again, to give numbers and dimensions. With the demographic decline in our whole region and around us, we are probably a region of about 16 million people, which is about half of today's Ukraine, which is estimated at 31 million people. And I think it's important to to remind ourselves of that, and that in the north of Kosovo, at best, there are from 25 to 30,000 people. And even officially, the president of Serbia has mentioned that about 5,000 people have left. So we're talking very small numbers. The reason I mention that is because this is manageable, and not to mention that the GDP of the whole region is 
tantamount to Slovakia's. So in, in that sense, the EU could make an effort to, to show that there can be a win by bringing in one or two of the smaller countries that are ready, of course, provided that they fulfill their agreements. But we're talking a few days before the Berlin Process Summit, which will take place in Tirana on October 16th, where all the leaders of the region will meet with all leaders of, of the 27 member states. You have been working as part of the Berlin process, or rather on the implementation. Negotiating the agreements and also implementing them now. I'd like you to take us into the, into the machine, into the engine of how this happens. The Regional Cooperation Council, in my view, is, is really an important tool that we all have. And the Berlin process, to remind those who don't know, was something initiated by Chancellor Merkel back in 2014 to give more energy to the enlargement process. And Chancellor Schultz has kind of given it a 2.0 life. Where are we with this regional cooperation? Well, if, uh, I mean, Berlin process has produced uh, a number of regional institutions which have a role uh, to connect the region, RCC being the main institution. And I think if we go back to November 2020, the Western Balkan leaders signed a declaration where they pledged to create a common regional market, which means a Western Balkans with full respect implementation of four freedoms of European Union in the region with a set of political agreements and decisions to remove barriers within the Western Balkans, and all coupled with financing from European Union through the European Commission's Economic and Investment Plan, which would bring new growth to the Western Balkans to about 6 to 7%. Also, understanding that while one cannot that is very difficult to fight with brain drain currently, at least there should be an attempt to create a brain retain in the Western Balkans. So to have people circulate and work and study and move freely within here. Three mobility agreements signed last year were uh, freedom of movement with identity cards in the Western Balkans done by my colleagues from the political department of RCC, which would enable entry, exit, and, and uh, maritime and air landing, all use, uh, use of ID cards for all ID card holders in the region, which would also mean that Bosnia and Herzegovina lifts visas for citizens of Kosovo. Uh, second was a identical procedure in recognition of higher education qualifications within a week and free of charge in line with EU commitments, which the Western Balkans has. And third was the first phase of the recognition of professional qualifications. And this last year was for doctors of medicine, dentists and architects, uh, which would enable uh, these three professions to start going and working in each other places by the same standards including the alignment of curricula with that of the EU, because these agreements are bringing 
to the regional level, the implementation of EU acquis, where that hasn't happened. And this year we have the other four professions, which is again in the medical sec- sector, and that is pharmacists, veterinary surgeons, nurses, and midwives. These are those seven professions that also the EU has a very difficult time to implement, but there is an EU directive which the Western Balkans needs to implement in accession, but has decided to do it sooner, faster, at the regional level. So this is as as far as RCC is concerned. We also have this process of roaming reduction prices between the Western Balkans and the EU, which is facilitated by my colleagues in the digital team of RCC. And there are a set of decisions that have to be taken in CEFTA, which is another regional organization, uh, mostly focused on trade cooperation and economic cooperation, which have not been taken up to date because of lack of (laughs) consensus within the Western Balkans, political issues, not substantive ones. When we were facilitating creating of the common regional market, there was an action plan which had a logic to it where we're not postponing decision-making. But our region as it is likes to postpone things. So mobility agreements which were supposed to be signed in 2021 were signed in 2022. What was supposed to happen in 2022 will happen in 2023. Some other decisions that were supposed to be taken in the last few uh, couple of years have not been taken yet, although they are ready. <clears throat> technically negotiated and ready. The situation which we have, which is the continuing brain drain, continues. But I, I believe that next year there will be a common regional market too and a new EU plan, which would go deeper integration and increased investment to increase the third of GDP in the Western Balkans. And this is all very important because we can grow economically faster than we are Currently. So j- just a, a quick question. Is the brain drain from Kosovo as, as dramatic as it is in the other yes, countries of is. the region? Yes, it is. It is. It is dramatic and it's not decreasing. And I believe that none of the regional governments have conducted an analysis of what this massive brain drain means. So let me ask you, as the enlargement picks up speed and energy, uh, given, again, one must repeat it all the time, the Russian invasion and the general geopolitical and geostrategic situation. And because you and I and others have been in this business for a long time, trying to get our countries and our region where they should be uh, belonging to the European EU family, this gap between uh, being a candidate and becoming a full member is at the heart of these decisions. How does one fill the gap? And you mentioned already joining the single market, the four freedoms, but also these ideas of phasing in and staged accession. And the chancelleries of of Europe have been given the task to work on this. As I like to say colloquially, bring us to the table wherever you can. What's your view on this? Bring us to the table, integrate us in the single market. We should have a, a knowledge of when the date is of this integration and what are the intermediary steps. And bring us definitely at the political table as well without decision-making. We don't need to decide now the future of the EU, but we can contribute to the debate, discussion, or listen for what is the thinking in our continent. 
And I believe that in itself is a huge transformation for our region. It's the transformative capacity of EU accession, single market, and then political. It may do wonders. It may do wonders. Qualitatively pushing us from this point A to point B. And that point B is very important for all of the societies in the Western world. I completely agree. And needless to say, but one needs to repeat it, this is a region completely encircled by European Union member states and by NATO member states. And already three countries are members of NATO, Albania, Montenegro, and North Macedonia, and others aspiring to, except Serbia at the moment. So there is also, I would like to to ask you, because both you and I know that there is much more regional cooperation going on than people are aware about. There are exchanges, sports, culture, business people are heavily involved investing in each other across the region and beyond the Western Balkans with Slovenia and Croatia being part of it and others. Say a few words about what is the good story that is not being told as we live through some of these crises? Ooh, that, that, this is a, the, I'm blocked now. <laughs> um, no, I but think, you have been part I of these exchanges, both yes, as a think tanker, as a member people, of parliament. I mean, there, is, there are platforms for, for, for cooperation of young people. I mean, we also have a forum of the Western Balkans. So uh, I, I believe that these are points of life which are which are not dictated by electoral politics, which all cooperate very well and which do not want these hard borders. And one thing, resolution of open outstanding issues in the Western Balkans means also removal of borders. We are not going to build Chinese walls once we have uh, agreements signed here and there, but we're going to remove borders. And I think businesses understand this and want this. Youth and students want this and understand this. We have Balkan Barometer annual opinion polls conducted in the Western Balkans in RCC that show 75% of youth want uh, to visit uh, one another. They want less barriers. Uh, they want to be able to study in each other's universities. People from the cultural realm want to cooperate more, and they try to, but they need to be further institutionalized and encouraged. Businesses, of course, business has a different language, and, and they do cooperate. Trade, investments, etc. We are moving towards a region, a Western Balkans, without borders. And I think at that point, uh, people will start feeling differently about issues which are deemed super important today, but in a borderless uh, region uh, uh, where normal life takes place and gets stronger and continues, uh, that is the future. That is EU, basically. Uh, We can create that EU before joining uh, a politically European Union. Indeed, that is the direction of of movement that needs to be accelerated. We we travel already with ID cards throughout the region. And as you said, Bosnia and Herzegovina will probably lift the restriction on Kosovo. We have these cultural exchanges uh, that are intense. And businesses, as I said, are very intensely uh, cooperating. We lived 
in a country called Yugoslavia where there were no borders. We sort of had the curse of may you live in interesting times, unfortunately in the worst of interesting times with conflict. And we want to get, as you said, to a situation uh, without borders. One more positive example during times of COVID. The six Western Balkan governments, they started providing doctors to send across the border without these red tape, etc. So when that hum- humane issues were at hand, Western Balkans knew how to cooperate. There were green lanes that were developed. Uh, tourism buffed. Uh, people started working, I mean, for, from Serbia to Albanian coast. About 150,000 by statistical data. Sending medical staff in times when we didn't know how bad COVID was, when we thought it was horrible. We proved that we can be at a different value level of cooperation and respect of each other. And this needs to be amplified. Indeed, and and from personal knowledge, we know that quite a few Albanians from Kosovo unfortunately go for treatment in hospitals in in Serbia. Uh, They have no problem in sharing expertise and and seeking uh, help where where they can get it. So uh, maybe on some of these positive examples, Ilir, we can can end this conversation. Obviously, we'll be following closely. And as we said, there needs to be political will on the two major sides, Belgrade and Pristina, but also I think a much more clearer and robust hand of the third actor and partner in this conversation, that's the international community, principally the EU, but backed with the US. So, Ilir, thank you very much for this conversation. Thank you, Ivan. And I hope we have a new conversation in December where we can hopefully say, let's leave the past behind. Now we're building that present and that future that we discussed this hour. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll make it a date. (laughs) That concludes this episode of Vienna Coffeehouse Conversations, the podcast brought to you by the Europe's Futures Programme at the Institute for Human Sciences in Vienna. Europe's Futures is a programme of impact, ideas and action for a Europe that rises to the challenges of the 21st century and is undertaken in collaboration with the Esther Foundation. To find out more about our work and research, visit europesfutures.eu.